Remember, remember. Uh, some of our children have learnt that little rhyme for the first time recently. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder, treason should ever be forgot. And then quickly following on from the 5th of November, we have Remembrance Day, the the 11th day of the 11th month. And again, the importance of remembering. A poem was written just seven weeks into World War I, uh, which gave us the now very familiar words. They shall not grow old as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. So remember, remember the 5th of November. Remember those fallen in the wars. But tonight God wants us to remember something even more important. And that is that Jesus is coming back. We see those words remember or reminder twice in the opening two verses of the chapter. Peter begins, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Back in chapter 1, if you want to, to look back there, Peter has already used the remember type words three times. Uh, to remind believers how we are to live between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Verse 13, I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So in chapter 1 he wants them to remember their their calling, how they are to live between now and the day Jesus comes back. But as we begin chapter 3, it's it's the second coming itself that he wants to remind them and us of. And he wants to remind us as well of the scoffers who will come before it does. And it is particularly important to be reminded of the reality of the second coming in light of the scoffing that we will hear about it. If we live in an atmosphere, which we do, the very idea that Jesus Christ will return bodily and bring an end to this world is scoffed at. If we're breathing in that atmosphere all the time, it would be easy to, to, to lose our conviction of the absolute certainty of this event. And that brings us to our second point, or our first point this evening, uh, which is that remember that scoffers will come in the last days. Remember that scoffers will come in the last days. Knowing this, first of all, Peter writes in verse 3, That scoffers will come in the last days. So when are the last days? Are we to expect that these scoffers are here now? 
or that, that they'll only come at some point in the future. When are the last days? It's not uncommon to hear Christians who say, in light of wars going on around the world, in light of the moral collapse of society, we're definitely living in the last days now. And they're right, we are. They're right that we're living in the last days, but, but they're wrong if they think of the last days as a time period which started in the last 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, or, or 500 years. And they're also wrong if they think that we can define the fact that we're living in the last days by what we see in the news. Because what, what we often miss is that the Bible describes the whole period from Jesus' ascension to his return as the last days. And so when Peter tells his readers to remember that scoffers will come in the last days, he's not telling them about something that's going to happen that's not going to happen for another 2,000 years in the future. Rather, he's telling them that they, in their day, need to be prepared for scoffers. So where in the Bible does it tell us that the last days began with Jesus' ascension? We'll think of Joel's prophecy, for example. Uh, the little book of Joel. Uh, Joel prophesied that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Uh, when was that going to take place? What Joel just says, it will take place afterwards. But Peter, uh, on the day of Pentecost, he, he quotes that prophecy and he changes Joel's afterwards to the last days. And by doing that, Peter is saying that we are now in the last days. When the, the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, Peter is saying we are now in the last days. Or, or think of, of the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1 verse 2. The, the book of Hebrews begins uh, with telling us how God had revealed himself in the past. But then we read, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Or John in his first letter. First John, he calls the time in which we are living the last hour. Children, he says, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Or there's James. Uh, James condemns the rich people of his day uh, because he says you've laid up treasure in the last days. So, so already in James's day, he's saying we're in the last days. It's not a time for storing up treasure. Or even Peter's first letter. Uh, we, read, we read there, chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Uh, so this is Peter's second letter. In his first letter, Peter says of the Lord Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So different language is, is used, the last days, the last hour, the last times. But it's all clearly referring to the same period of time. Uh, a period of time that had begun when the New Testament authors were writing. 
but a period of time that would continue right up until the moment Jesus comes back. The Old Testament, uh, we can think of it as the age of prophecy, but the New Testament is the age of fulfillment. Yes, there is a final last day coming. That's what Peter will talk about down in verse 10 when he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Or or when he says in verse 8, he talks about the day of judgment. There is a, a last day coming. But the whole time between Jesus' ascension up into heaven and his return, this whole time is the last days. So yes, we are living in the last days. But so was Charles Spurgeon, so was John Knox, so was St. Augustine, so was the Apostle Peter. And so Peter is telling his readers to remember what the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles about the last days. Because they were now in those last days. And in these last days scoffers will come. Scoffers will come. And so we're not to expect this to talk about some future time. But we're to know that scoffers are already here. And notice those words at the end of verse 3. That scoffers will, will, will come scoffing. Following their own sinful desires. We tend to think that the problem with scoffers is an intellectual one. Peter has so far talked in this letter about a talking donkey. Uh, We saw that last week. He's talked about cities being destroyed by literal fire from heaven sent from God. He's talked about angels. He's talked about a man called Noah and a floating zoo, uh, as the skeptics would would have thought. And at this point we might be thinking, well, 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 that's the problem. Intellectually, these scoffers, they just can't bring themselves to believe those things. But what does he say here at the end of verse 3? Scoffers will come following their own sinful desires. The scoffers' problem, not just then but now, the scoffers' problem is not primarily an intellectual problem but a moral one. That's a a really important thing to grasp. Scoffers, uh, the the problem is not primarily an intellectual one that that they can't believe these things, but it's a moral one. They don't want to believe these things because of the implications it would have for their lives. Uh, so, So don't be intimidated if you're talking to people who are better educated than you. Uh, The problem isn't that they're too intelligent to believe these things. The problem is that they have a lifestyle that they they do not want to submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ. The problem people around us, the problem that they have with Jesus coming back, it it is not uh, that it's unbelievable. Uh, People believe all sorts of things. Uh, The problem is that they don't want to give up their sinful lifestyles. That is what is at the root of their scoffing. And if you're talking to someone and they bring up all these arguments, if you know that in the back of your mind, you'll know what it is that that really motivates them. So scoffers will come 
what will they sound like? Well, verse 4 gives us, gives us a, a summary. Uh, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. In other words, Jesus is coming back, you say. Where? The world is going on as it always has. <clears throat> you Christians have been saying for, for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back. But, but where? It hasn't happened What's the problem with that statement? Well, what, one, one problem at least with it is that they haven't remembered. And they need to remember, remember. Because verse 5, they have deliberately forgotten, deliberately overlooked the fact of the flood. And they need to remember the fact of the flood. In verse 5, Peter goes back to creation. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by the same means, verse 6, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, God sent the flood. The deluge is an old word for the flood. And when Peter says the world that then existed, he's talking about the world before the flood. It is the same world, uh, but it was such a cataclysmic event that in a sense it was a new world uh, that Noah's family experienced when they got off the ark. So God has intervened before, but the scoffers have forgotten that. In in politics, uh, there's a a philosophy of non-intervention It means one country deciding not to get involved in the affairs of another country. Uh, Particularly during wars, uh, certain countries might sign non-intervention agreements, which mean that they're not going to get involved. But these sceptics think that if God does exist, then he has a non-intervention strategy. That whatever happens on earth... God's not going to intervene. But that idea deliberately overlooks the fact that God has intervened in the, fa- in the past. He's intervened by sending the flood. And what he has done in the past, he will do again. And that brings us to our second point this evening. So firstly, having seen that scoffers will come in the last days, we, we come to see secondly that the day of judgment is coming the day of judgment is coming on monday the un secretary general warned that the world is on a highway to climate hell Uh, the president of egypt said that the climate the climate disasters were bringing wave after wave of suffering for billions of people The idea that our world is heading towards disaster is not unbelievable for people today. Many, many people in our world believe that we're heading towards disaster. That we are heading towards a day of reckoning. And they're right, but they're also wrong. They're right that we're heading towards a day of reckoning, a day of judgment and destruction for billions of people. And they're right that it's a day coming as a result of human actions. 
But the true day of reckoning that's coming won't be because of climate change, but it will be because of human sin. But of course, there's only one of those two days of reckoning that our world wants to talk about. They're happy to talk about a day of reckoning that we created, but that we can fix. But they don't want to talk about a day of reckoning that we have also brought about, in a sense, but which we cannot fix, which we cannot prevent from happening, and from which our only way of escape is to turn to God. In fact, it would be tempting to compare failed predictions of climate disaster to attempts by cults such as the Jehovah's Witnesses to predict the return of Jesus. Such as in 1972 when the UN said, we have 10 years to stop the catastrophe. Or in in 1990 when the head of the UN Environment Programme said that we shall win or lose the climate struggle in the first years of the 1990s. In fact, one, one book came out in 2020 is entitled False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor and Fails to Fix the Planet. Now, as I said in an earlier sermon in this series, my job as a minister isn't to, to tell you what you should think about climate change. Many who are sceptical about these doomsday predictions still believe that climate change is real. But the point is that we are not supposed to question these doomsday scenarios. Despite the fact that the track record of the organisations making them is pretty woeful. Again and again they've made doomsday predictions which haven't come about. Whereas God's track record is certain. He sent a global flood on the world. And God left the evidence of that flood, not just in the Bible, but, but it masses of evidence for the flood in the fossil record. But people deliberately overlook that. They, they would rather believe in aliens than the fact that God once sent a flood. But not only did the, the flood happen, but it wasn't some sort of, of so-called natural disaster because it came by means of the same word of God through which the earth was made in the first place. And other parts of the New Testament help us understand that when we read about the word of God, we're to understand that we're reading not simply about the, the speech of God, but the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in verse 5 here that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And we're told in John 1 that the word was in the beginning with God and that the word was God and that all things were made through him. And so when verse 5 here says that the earth was formed by the word of God, we're to understand it as speaking about the personal involvement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, when the flood came by, by the same means, water and the word of God, again it's telling us of the personal involvement of the Lord Jesus, the one who both judges and saves. And then again, verse 7, by the same word, the same reliable word of God, the same word of God, Jesus Christ, by him the heavens and earth 
the nags that are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the same God who created the world, uh, the same God who sent a, a worldwide flood as a foretaste of final judgment, that same God will one day bring this world to an end. Uh, the apparent delay to that happening, which the scoffers point to, it doesn't mean that God isn't there or that judgment is never going to come. What does it mean? It means that God is being patient with us. Boys and girls, has your mum or dad ever told you to be patient with your brother or sister? We find it hard to be patient, don't we? Patient, especially when people are doing something that they shouldn't be doing. But God is being so patient with our world. And if you haven't asked Jesus yet to forgive you your sins, he is being so patient with you. In fact, verse 9 tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's an amazing verse, boys and girls. God doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want any to go to hell. Rather, he wants all to reach repentance. God's not trying to, to catch people out. He, he wants us to go to heaven. He wants you to go to heaven. He, he made you for himself. And so he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus before it's too late. Because one day Jesus will come back and the world will be burned up. Boys and girls, did you know that in some places on Guy Fox night on the 5th of November, people make a pretend Guy Fox to put on the bonfire. They make a big doll the size of a person and they put it on the bonfire and it's called a guy and it gets all burned up. And imagine a little boy or girl who found that pretend Guy Fox a week or two before bonfire night and they asked their mum or dad if they could play with it uh, their mum or dad might say well yes you can but only for a short while because in a couple of weeks it's going to be burned so don't make it your favorite toy or don't take it to bed with you because one day soon it's not going to be here anymore because that guy that, that pretend guy fox is being stored up for the bonfire it might look nice, it might look fun, you might be able to, to play with it for a short while or do some things with it, but one day soon it's going to be burned up. And our world is the same. Peter tells us here that the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire. So we shouldn't love this world too much because one day it is going to be burned up. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away like a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Or in the words of verse 7, all these things are going to be dissolved like a, a guy being kept for the bonfire. Our world is being stored up for fire. But, but when? 
when will all this happen? Down through the years, all manner of groups and cults have come up with dates when they think that Jesus is going to come back. And then when he hasn't come back, they've had to reinterpret it and say, well, yes, he, he spiritually returned. Uh, he didn't physically return. Even though Jesus himself said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And yet still they try. But as Peter says here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Paul puts it similarly in 1 Thessalonians 5 2, where he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. As Jesus had said when he was on earth, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. If you've ever had your house burgled, if robbers have ever come, it's not that like they had sent a, a note the week before telling you that they were going to come. When we're going to a wedding, we get a save the date card, but, but, but robbers don't send save the date cards. Rather, you probably came home to the horrible realisation that when you had been out, someone had come in and gone through your stuff. And so to say that the day of the Lord will come like a thief means that we won't be expecting it. And so we need to be ready for it. We need to be ready for Jesus coming back. And boys and girls, how can you be ready for Jesus coming back? By putting your trust in him, by believing in him, so that when he comes back, he is your friend and your saviour and not your enemy. So remember, the scoffers will come in the last days. Remember that despite what they say, the day of judgment is coming. And the reason it seems to be taking a long time is that God is being patient with those scoffers and with us if we haven't yet put our trust in Jesus. And having reminded us of the certainty of Jesus' return in the final section of the letter, Peter will tell us more about how we're to live in light of that fact, which we'll come back to next week if Jesus doesn't come back first, because he will come at an hour when we do not expect. Maybe we'll finish this sermon series, maybe we won't. Amen. Well, we'll close by singing the, the opening and closing words of Psalm 136. Psalm 136, page 335. Psalm 136, page 335. The tune is Conwell 284. Psalm 136, page 335. Tune 284. Giving thanks to God in verse 1 because he surely is good and he is patient and he doesn't want any to perish. Praising God in verse 3, because with wisdom he created the heavens. And Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Then turning over to verse 10. In verse 10 we sing about the land that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. Which was a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. That he will give us when the current heavens and earth are burned up. 
Because God's judgment on his enemies always means salvation for his people. And then in verse 11, we finish where we began today on Remembrance Day with the God who remembers us, who did us remember in our low estate and didn't simply intellectually remember that we were in that low estate, but remembered us in our low estate by sending Jesus Christ to, in humiliation, take on that lowest state uh, and live and die in our place. So verses 1 to 3 and then 10 to the end, we'll stand to sing praise.